Now I'm going to continue teaching you on the theme of renewal, times of renewal. Obviously, I'll be shaping the message to be really speaking into our situation today, right now, but I don't see any reason to change the series that I planned because, in fact, actually, it's even more relevant. Uh, I think that there is a distinct possibility that through the national and international situation, more and more people will be turning their hearts towards God. Now, I know it doesn't always work that way. Already, some of my friends have reacted very negatively and, and, and saying, well, you know, all you Christians are irrelevant. You just believe in something that doesn't really exist. And anyway, if God did exist, why would he allow the coronavirus? And I, 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 there are answers to the, those questions, but it's not just about what people are saying. It's what's going, up, going on in their hearts. But we need to pray that people will at least reconsider and think about their spiritual life. And for us, already as believers, there can be a sense of renewal as we focus on the things that really matter and the time that we have available, perhaps more than usual, to read the scriptures, to pray, to share with one another, and to reflect. I am pretty sure that God wants to draw you well, I'm very sure about that. God wants to draw you closer to himself. But I'm pretty sure that God is working in our nation right now and in the hearts of Christians and churches to renew us and refresh us spiritually. I do want to say, I don't want to dwell on it, but I do want to say that I have been saying for three years prophetically that the 2020s would be times of great challenge and great testing. I did not speak about sickness or financial reversal in the nation. I did not wish to be alarmist, but I gave enough information. So for the last two to three years, we've been preparing ourselves for this. Little did I know that when we came to the year 2020 itself, that within a matter of weeks, we'd be where we are. But God knew, and he's gone ahead he knows the future, he holds the future in his hands, he holds the present in his hands, and he wants to renew you, and he wants to renew me spiritually. And so, my subtitle today is The Secret of Transformation. And I'm speaking from Romans 12, verse 2, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm sure we all know that the verse of Scripture where God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I feel like saying that, and I try actually to say that many times to people that I'm talking to, and they're saying, well, you know, you and your Jesus and all this. I, I, want, I want to say to them, taste it. Yesterday, of course, I'm, I'm staying at home like everybody else is, only going out when absolutely necessary, and so I've turned my hand to do a little bit more cooking. Now, Amanda, who is watching online now, she will be able to testify to this, her tastes and my tastes are slightly different. I like it spicy, I like it hot, 
and Amanda's tastes are more subtle. So I was having to, whatever I was cooking, I won't describe it, you don't want to know, but I was cooking this up, and I said, Amanda, taste that. You know, it's okay. I said, taste this. Yeah, oh, is that too spicy? No, we can add a bit more. Then there came a moment when what was ready was properly spiced for her taste. And in the same way, God says, try it. Taste and see. And our scripture here goes beyond that. It doesn't just say taste and see, but test it. Some versions say prove and approve this. God is putting himself on the line. And really, you can appreciate how incredibly gracious God is in this. He has the right as the ultimate reality, the Lord of the entire universe, the only one eternal uncreated God, and all the rest are creation, part of his creation. God's way is right, it's correct, it's righteous. And he could just bellow from heaven and say, do what I tell you. He doesn't do that. He does that, but he does more. He sent Jesus to show what it looks like when we live a life that is honoring to him. He sends the Holy Spirit to empower us to live like that. And then he also says, try it. See that my way is good. See that my way is perfect. See that my way is pleasing. For there is great reward in going God's way. And when we recognize that, our minds change. We find the battle of the mind easier to win. When we are tempted to go after the things that we desire and that would naturally draw us away when we're tempted to think, not, not your way, Lord, but my way. And we try to reverse the Lord's Prayer where the Lord's Prayer says, actually says, let your will, Father, be done on earth as it's done in heaven. We, we like to try and reverse that and say, Father, let my will be done in heaven as it's done on earth. And that really is a huge transformation of thought, a huge renewal of thinking. And, and God says, step out, obey me, do what I ask you to do, surrender, and, and not just because you fear me or because I say so, but do it, and you, in doing it, you will prove that what I offer you and the way that I show you how to live is going to give you everything that you've ever deeply longed for. And it, this is not just God saying, whatever your wishes are, I'm, gonna, I'm here to make you happy. No. God calls us to a life of holiness rather than instantaneous happiness. Any happiness that can come out of a packet will soon pass away. It's fairy floss spirituality. It's very sweet to the mouth, but very little nutrition, and it disappears. No, God says, even though you may need to go through, have to go through painful times, and I'm not here just to make life easy for you, but I am here to develop a faith in you that's so strong that you might grow in your faith and finally lay hold of me for the fullness that is in me, the fullness of life that is in me and only in me. But in order for that to happen, there has to be a renewal of mind. I want to turn you to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, because here we have in many ways, a very relevant scripture 
to all of us. All of us. I'm not just talking about those who are naturally timid and introverted and naturally fearful. We recognize there are different personalities and different temperaments. Uh, you, some people are bold and brash and an avalanche can fall on them and it's water off a duck's back. Other people, a pea shooter hits them and they feel the world has fallen apart. That's, that's not cynical or negative. It's a fact that we're different. There are some people who are more sensitive, highly strong, and so forth. And God loves you as you are, but God can give you strength, even if you are like Timothy. You say to me, like Timothy, how? Let me tell you about Timothy. Timothy was a young man who was mentored by the Apostle Paul, and there's good evidence that Timothy took over from the Apostle Paul when Paul went to be with Jesus. But he was not a strong, confident, robust, outgoing personality. He, he was a fearful man, naturally, timid, timid Timmy, that's what I would call him. And Paul is writing his second letter, first letter for encouragement, second letter for double encouragement. Do you, have you ever felt like that, that you need people constantly encouraging you? Good. And that's a good thing to receive, constant encouragement. Let me read for you 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Let me just pause there. It all comes back to this. Now, when we talk about sincere faith, it's not just sincerity. I hope that whatever you believe, you believe it sincerely. But just because you're sincere doesn't make you right. You can be sincerely wrong. So the Bible word for sincere here is not just being genuine, that is taken as read. But more than that, it means that what we are trusting in is right. And I can't think of anyone else to trust more than God. He is faithful, 100% trustworthy. So make sure our faith is fully in God and his trustworthiness and sincerely in him. So he says, this sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. I want to emphasize that word, to dwell. Um, I remember, I, I, I don't know if I really should say this, but I, I'm sure it's, it's not totally out of turn. I remember Boris Johnson once a long time ago, who's now our Prime Minister, says, my faith is like Radio 1 in the Chilterns, it comes and goes. Well, very witty and, and probably very honest. I don't know, that's not a statement about his spirituality, I just remember that quote. And I thought, you know, for even us as, as believers, solid, robust, Bible believers, there are times when our faith is tested and, 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 and sometimes our faith feels strong, sometimes it doesn't feel so strong. And, and, but Paul is reminding Timothy and all of us that the faith of Jesus Christ dwells in you. And that is a gift of God. Something has taken place. Yes, it is supernatural. There are good, solid, natural reasons, um, philosophical reasons, logical reasons, historical reasons, rational reasons that back up our faith. But actually, our relationship with God 
goes deeper than that. It includes those things, but goes deeper. It is a supernatural interaction in which God reveals himself deep within our spirits to us, and we know, and there is a confidence. It's not a brashness, it's not an arrogance. It's a, it's a confidence. We've met Christ, and he's changed our lives, and now his faith dwells in us. And, and we don't have to look too deep. When I look inside me, and I enjoy this when we're sharing together to do good, solid soul talk, really, some of the stuff that comes out isn't so glorifying to God. Because there are times when we are fearful, when we're afraid, when we want to react in certain ways, and when we're irritated, and we're disappointed, and, and, and all of those things. But actually, when you probe a little deeper, we find that deep beneath there is a peace, a confidence, and a supernatural knowledge. So the faith of Jesus Christ dwells deep within you. That's encouraging, isn't it? And if you're not yet a believer, step into it. Step into it. Uh, people around you can share with you how to do that, but I, I want to speak to everybody today, not just focusing obviously on our church and church members and things, but there are people watching from all over the world. There are people who don't know Jesus, and I'm just encouraging you. I'm not bashing you or haranguing you. I'm encouraging you. Come in and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. So let me keep on reading. Uh, so he says, uh, for the, verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about Timothy's call to the ministry and the spiritual gifts that God has given him. And later on in this series, I will be talking about your spiritual gift. It comes up in Romans chapter 12. But for now, let me just say this. I can't think of a more important time and a more exciting time for you to fan into flame your gift, your spiritual gift. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has equipped you with knowledge, with wisdom, with the Holy Spirit, and if the Holy Spirit's living in you, every capacity of the Holy Spirit can be flow through you to reach other people. Pray for people. Pray for them to be healed. Encourage them. Minister to them. Serve them. Let's be fruitful in our ministry as believers in Jesus Christ. Then verse 7, and now I'm coming back to my main point today. Here we go, verse 7. For God gave us, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, not of fear, that's not our birthright, not our fear, but power and love and self-control. That's the sound mind that God has given you as a believer. You could translate it as saved mind. It's the word for wholeness, for salvation, for healing. So you have a sound mind, a saved mind, and that mind therefore is focused on the power of God, the love of God, and by the Spirit of God, you have an ability to control your thinking to put the brakes on. We know that from modern psychology that 
your mind matters. And there are whole systems of counseling based on this biblical principle of being transformed by renewing your mind. But secular counselors won't go far enough, but we have the, the authority of Scripture to say, set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind on the Word of God. Think in line with God's thinking. Reason with the higher reasoning of biblical revelation. Think with the higher reasoning of the Holy Spirit. And God will soon lead you to that place where when a thought comes in, a thought of fear, and I don't think there's anybody today that has not been tempted, at least sometime in, in the last few days, to think, oh my, what's going to happen? My finances, my job, w w this virus. Now, we take it seriously. We don't dismiss it and say, oh, happy clappy, just ignore it. No, we face the facts around us, but our eyes are not on the facts, our eyes are upon the truth of His Word and who Jesus is. So I'm saying, lift your eyes higher. Be sensible, understand that we're in a serious situation, but God is yet to have the final say in all of this. Now, Romans 12, 2, as you know, is all about making sure that we do not let the stinking thinking that's around us, where, where the attitudes of the world and, and the worldly system doesn't press us into its mold, so we find ourselves inhibited, restricted, because we have taken on board some of the ideas and, and the thoughts and, and actions that are happening around us. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Rather, be transformed, not conformed, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me go over some of these things again. I, I think, and I'm, I'm not blaming anybody, and, and there are wonderful examples where we've had good, hopeful messages come to us through the media and through uh, government leaders. And I, I'm not criticizing anybody. But there is a tendency around us to be anxious and fearful. And this is contagious. Fight it off. Reject it. Control. Put the brakes on it in your mind. Don't have a fearful mind. Don't let uncertainty grip your heart and cripple you. I know what I'm saying is very difficult. I mean, it just seems, of the last number of years, all we've had is the uncertainty of Brexit. Uncertainty, uncertainty, uncertainty. You walk around hearing this word, uncertainty, uncertainty. And just as soon as you begin to get over that, now we have another set of uncertainty. Well, it is time to put off uncertainty and place your feet on the rock Christ Jesus and understand that we have a solidity and we have a conviction and we know whom we have believed and that he is able to keep what we've committed to him against that day and even this day. That doesn't mean to say we're going to all have an easy time. Any of us going to have an easy time. God didn't save you to have an easy time. God saved you to test you and to develop you and strengthen you. So I want the balance between being realistic about what's happening, but also not being dominated and not allowing the spirit of the age, which is very largely an unbelieving spirit, very largely a humanistic spirit that says, forget about God, you just got to look after yourself. Well, as believers, we don't like that or believe it. 
And then there's this selfish mindset. Wow. The panic buying. The selfishness. I don't want to moralize over this. You've, you've had enough of that. You know what I'm talking about. But I was yesterday very, very pleased to hear uh, a National Health Service official say these words. I, I wrote them down. I'm sure you heard them too. Talking about this very thing. And not just about stopping to panic by, but also maintaining that social distance. We're doing it here today, even though we are gathered, you're, you're at home. Don't, don't be silly. Be, be sensible. And this is what he said. He said, this is a time in your life when your actions will save somebody's life. Very true. And so we don't want to go down the road of herd mentality, crowd mentality, uh, and selfishness. No. Let's be givers. Let's be servants. And let's not be conformed to the selfish spirit. But Romans 12 talks about discerning God's will. Interesting. Find out what pleases the Lord. What a brilliant, brilliant teaching. Find out what pleases the Lord. Now, when I lead somebody to Christ and they say, what, what, I must, what must I do now? Of course, I will help them and I will teach them and they have the Bible and teach them to pray and teach them the Word of God and find somewhere in the Scripture some place to start. And it's usually not the book of Leviticus, if you know what I mean. And we help them. But here's the advice I give. I say, now listen, you have surrendered your life to Christ. You've put your faith and trust in Him as your Savior and your Lord. Now, the rest of your life is find out what pleases him. Not just out of duty, but out of delight and out of gratitude. And I can't think of a better thing to say to anybody in today's situation. Ask God, what can I do to please you now? And, and he will lead you. We have the scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit, and God will speak to you. Find out what pleases the Lord. What do you want me to do, Lord, at this time? Now, I can do a whole list of things that I think you should be doing, but I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to put you in touch with Jesus and say, turn to him, because you've got a very unique situation. I'm speaking personally and intimately. I know I'm in your front room right now, so I'm not waving my hands around in an excessive Pentecostal fashion. I'm, that I might forget myself here and then, but I'm speaking to you very personally and intimately. Where you are, you have people in your social network, you have loved ones, especially your mothers in a time like this, you have people that work, and you can watch out for them. Lord, how can I minister encouragement to them? What can I do? And, and this isn't just a Christian thing that we're doing, we should be doing it, but this is a message that's going right across the nation and we're seeing remarkable examples. I think that this crisis, as any crisis, will demonstrate the best of humanity and sometimes the worst of humanity as we've seen it. But we all want to be on the best of humanity side and we want to do that all in the name of Jesus. We're not trying to prove anything, we just want to find out what pleases the Lord. I don't know if you know the story of Corin Ten Boom. She uh, is with the Lord Jesus now. She 
was uh, alive in the Second World War during Nazi occupation of Holland. And her and her family built a hiding place in their home to hide uh, Jews who were fleeing from Nazi persecution and extermination. And eventually the whole family was discovered and they were arrested and Corrie and her sister Betsy were taken to a Nazi concentration camp. She wrote a book about it called The Hiding Place. And also a movie came out about that. And I remember this line very strong from the movie, but I'm sure it's in the book as well. When Corrie and Betsy were taken to the concentration camp along with others because they were found guilty of harboring Jews in the Second World War under Nazi occupation. It was, they said it's, it was like being in hell. They were isolated, confined. They didn't know what happened to their father. Their father actually had passed away. Uh, they had each other, but there they were. And this is the prayer they prayed. Father, help us live for you. Show us how to live for you during this time. I believe God will answer that, that prayer. Now, again, I want to relate this to the thinking of the age. Um, when it comes to what's right and wrong, people are telling us there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's just what you want to believe, what is good for you, what's good for me. It's a matter of personal preference. You know, I reject that. God is the author of righteousness because he is the righteous God. Okay. But this idea today is a bit like, if it feels good, it is good. Have you come across that? Now, that is just a popular way of putting it. Uh, we, could, we could talk about the, the way in which scholars and philosophers talk about that. But basically, it means, if it feels good, it is good. If it feels bad, it is bad. Now, that might work at certain levels. You put your hand in a flame, it feels bad, that's bad, pull it away. So it works at a certain level. But actually, it's more than just what feels good. It's what is good. And sometimes doing the right thing doesn't feel good at the moment when you do it. <laughs> but later on it does. And that's the whole point. Test it. Taste and see. Test and see. You'll be so glad when you say, Lord, I'm not going to react according to my natural human thinking. I'm going to allow God's thoughts in my mind to influence what I think and how I respond and how I behave. Let me give you a very simple illustration. As somebody that I know, and you've heard this saying, but this person actually said it, I don't get mad, I get even. Or somebody else says, I forgive, but I never forget. And the way, the way that they say, I never forget, you know they haven't really forgiven. Because if you, if you forgive, you forget in the sense that you hold no further account of it. But we all know that. Do you know it? When somebody stirs you up and provokes you, you want to let them have it. And if you are a Christian, you want to let them double have it because you've got scriptures to back up your human anger and quote, in the name of God and the wrath of God. I've seen Christians, it's, I shouldn't laugh, I really shouldn't laugh at this. I've seen Christians point the finger at one another in an argument. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. No, I rebuke you. No, I rebuke you. And this is, we've forgotten ourselves. 
We've let the old mentality, the old stinking thinking take over. We've forgotten the way of Christ at any point of challenge. But here's the point. We think it's going to feel so good to tell that person what we think. It's going to feel so good just to be selfish right now. It's going to feel so good just to take that thing that we know God doesn't want us to have. But we're going to take it because we know it's going to make us feel good. And if it makes us feel good, then God will understand and, and, and really it is good. No, no, no. Only God is good. His word is good. His mercies endure forever. We align our thinking with God and his word and we do it even if it doesn't feel good. And for the moment, often it doesn't. But afterwards, when you've tested, you will be able to come to this proof that I'm talking about. And so this is what God says. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's the reversal of the Garden of Eden when Eve saw the fruit, she said, this fruit, wow, it is pleasing to the eye. Wow, it looks good for food. Wow, it's desirable to make me wise. And the wisdom she thought she was getting was the wisdom to make life work without God, to have some kind of secret knowledge that was superior to God so she could get satisfaction by passing God and his will. Well, it ended up in tragedy, as you know. Because the knowledge of good and evil that God was protecting Adam and Eve from was not some secret knowledge and some shortcut to blessing. It was the fall away from God himself and a loss of innocence. And that corruption entered the whole of humanity. Now God is reversing it and saying, okay, taste and see. Take the fruit of my word Take what I call you to do. Deal with that stinking thinking. Set your mind and thoughts upon the good things, the things that are really desirable, and as you do it, you will prove, I will prove it to you, that my way is best. My way is pleasing. My way is good. My way is fulfilling. It is a sure thing. So sure that God says, prove it. I'll show you. Do it, and you will see. Now, here we have, finally, before I close today, Psalm 19, verses 9 through 11. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The commandment of the Lord is true and righteous altogether. And here it is, verse 10. Listen to this. More to be desired than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Talking about God's word, God's will, sweeter, more desirable than gold. And then it says, verse 11, Moreover by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Test it. Try it. Believe it. Do it. And you will be blessed. Yes, we'll be tested. There'll be difficulties. I'm not talking about walking around with a permanent grin on your face because Christianity is about feeling good all the time. No, I'm talking about that deep knowledge and peace, the joy, knowledge of God. And in all circumstances, good and bad, our eyes are upon him, for we know his goodness endures forever. 
Amen and amen. Let me pray, and as I pray, the platform party will be joining us. Here we go. Father, we thank you that we can taste and see that you are good. Thank you that we can test and prove and, re and experience for ourselves that your will is good, acceptable, and perfect. We thank you that you're transforming our lives by this understanding. When we go your way, we experience life, liberation, joy. When our heart and mind embrace your will, you, we are transformed from the inside out, and our mind is renewed, and we know by experience that God's way is good, and it brings us into the enjoyment of the things that we long for but can experience no other way. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.